Uh, so good to see all of you as we worship God today. Um, you know, Thanksgiving is a wonderful day. Maybe for some, it's an opportunity to see family you haven't seen or, or to take a day off or watch football or whatever it is. And those are all good things. It's a formal day to give thanks, you know, and gratitude is not just a feeling. Gratitude is something that needs to be properly expressed. And the person who was kind to us, we have to be, uh, we have to recognize them. Right? And so we teach our little ones, um, when they receive a gift from someone, what do we teach them? The first things we teach them when they're little is they have to learn and say thank you. And they might be so excited over the gift, and they might think about, oh, what I can get, or the toy that I just got from auntie or uncle, and then we as parents always say, say thank you. And they say, uh, they know. No, you've got to say it. And that's what we're doing at church, as we come together to worship and sing and, and hear God's word and to to have service today, and those of you joining online as you're coming to worship, uh, it is an expression of our gratitude to say to God and to recognize the one who has been so gracious and kind to us. And so I want to encourage you to this week just to take some time to pause, to give thanks, to let your prayers and songs be filled with thanksgiving, and uh, to seek God in this way. You know, as we uh, uh, enter into this season, um, you know, last month we kicked off our uh, Build a House campaign. We're trying to find something more permanent for our church. And we had our first fruits uh, offering, and we had uh, a little over 140000 that was given, and we're grateful for so many. And that was our first fruits, and really through this whole season, as uh, Giving Tuesday's coming up, as the end of the year is coming up, um, something I want to encourage all of us, you know, to, that we want to build a house, um, where it can really be a place where someone could come and find God. Secondly, it's a place where that we could spend a lot more time uh, next to after our home and our work or school. That church would be that kind of place where we could spend hours and hours and chunks of our lives doing life together. And so this is what we envision, and this is what we hope for. Um, the type of place we're looking for, and we've been looking and searching in our um, building team has been working so diligently and we've been looking at different properties. Um, it, it costs about $6 million, give or take. Um, and uh, to find something that's, you know, 13, 15,000 square feet or whatever in Orange County, something that has some parking, um, it's a little scarce, but we're looking and we're praying. And so in order to buy something that is $6 million, it takes all of us to sacrifice and to give uh, we need to come up, I think, with like 25% of it or whatnot. Um, we need to have some money to put down. We need money to renovate. Um, and we need money to pay the mortgage when time comes. So we're prayerfully kind of proceeding. And as the weeks are going into the end of the year, um, I want to ask you to prayerfully give. And I want all of us to do this uh, with a humble heart. And so that... Um, it is something that we are building up together. And so I just wanted to share that uh, opportunity with us. And, you know, they say when you, a church has a building, when they move into something more permanent, it says all these people show up, right? Um, it's kind of an interesting thing that in church world that happens. And so more than even ourselves, like the, the new people who aren't going to church, the people who fell out of church during COVID, the people who are new to their faith, um, that they would find a place and this would be now their home. 
Um, and so we're looking forward to that and uh, seeing the little ones grow up and the VBS and all the overnight things or the praise nights and the prayer meetings and all the things that would happen there, uh, that we would make use of that place for God's glory. And so we are uh, pressing forward, looking forward to that. Uh, if you have, you know, just a, a warehouse sitting around and, you know, let us know, right? You're saying, my uncle has a warehouse here. Um, we want to give it away. We don't know where to give or I just got a few extra million bucks laying around. I don't know what to do with it. Then let us know, um, and God will uh, use all of that for his glory. We will uh, uh, press for that. But uh, we're looking forward to that till the end of the year. Uh, we want to uh, continue in our generosity and all that we're doing. Um, and with that said, today we look at this topic, we look at this story, and it's teaching us about faith. Uh, when we use the word faith, we, we use it as a noun. Um, my faith is this, or, you know, uh, I put my faith in someone. And really, if we put it in a verb form, we would probably say something we trust, someone we trust. Uh, we could say believe or trust, but really, maybe trust has a, a deeper word. Right now, I'm going to ask you, I mean, how many people do you really trust? There was a survey done. They asked the average American, how many people do you really trust? And uh, the, the number, the average, the most popular number was five. The average person said they had five people they could really trust. And the person you could really trust is someone uh, you can call at any time, middle of the night. Someone you could trust, right? And I don't know how many people you can hand your key over to and say, can you go take my car? Here, can you follow me in the car? Can you go and fix my car? And you hand your keys over to. How many people can you hand your keys to your house to? And say, can you house it for me? Uh, the number gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was telling our beloved teachers uh, in our teacher service this morning, I was telling them what a privilege it is that when someone says, here is my child, I am putting them now uh, in your responsibility. That is one of the greatest uh, forms of trust, right? Here is my child. Uh, he might go poo, most likely, but here you go, and here's the diaper bag. I entrust you with that. And that is still a form of trust. And so we think about that for a moment. Uh, in today's text, there's a story of Abram and God. This is not the first time. It's not the last time. But this is, again, a dialogue between God and Abraham about trust. It's interesting, when you look at the format of chapter 15, it's God speaks, Abraham speaks, then God speaks. And then in verse 7 again, God speaks, Abraham replies, and God speaks. And it's this kind of uh, layout we see here. And in it, it is a question about trust. Uh, it is Walter Brueggemann in his commentary, he says this, Genesis 15 asks whether Abraham can, in fact, trust, and it asks if Yahweh can, in fact, be trusted. It is faith which permits Abraham to trust and God to be trusted. So the whole question in chapter 15 is, is God trustworthy? Can Abraham trust God? And so it is here we see now, uh, a dialogue, and in this dialogue, in, in the first, first, six, uh, first six verses, uh, we see four truths about this faith that God is giving to us, what our Christian faith looks like, what it does, the effectiveness of it. Um, and so we're going to look at those four, and you can follow along in your outlines. Um, 
it's interesting because there was a survey done recently. They asked uh, Americans, uh, what's the number one quality of a friend that you are looking for? Right? And people listed all sorts of different qualities, good listener and fun and et cetera. But the number one was trustworthy. I could trust them. I could tell them my secret and they would listen and they, they would carry that out. Or I could say, let's meet here and they would show up. Or I could say, hey, can you hold my wallet and know that money is not going to go missing. Uh, when they bring me food, I know, hey, they're bringing me something that's of their best quality. I could trust them. I could give them the keys to my car. I could give them the keys to my house. Can you house it? Can you take care of my car? And that's the number one thing we're looking for. And really, in God, that's the one thing we are looking for. Someone I could put my faith in. Is God trustworthy? We see here that our faith, first of all, the description of faith, the first of all is that our faith is initiated by God. In this conversation, it is God who starts the conversation first about trusting Him. And this is, shows the, the grace of God, this shows the patience of God. Um, it's almost like in His intuition. Some of you moms, dads, you know, when your son or daughter is having an off week or a bad day at school and you ask them, hey, how's school? And they give that answer or, or there's something about them. There's something is wrong and you know, right? Your spidey senses are going off. You know there's something wrong and you go and say, what's going on? What happened today? And it's almost like God knew there was a burden on Abraham's heart. And so God goes to him and it says in verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram has a vision, and the word, of Lord, the word of the Lord came to him. God initiates this relationship. God initiates the faith that we have. Um, this is God's grace to us. It is Os Guinness who reminds us in, in this wonderful quote, We cannot find God without God. We cannot reach God without God. We cannot satisfy God without God which is another way of saying that our seeking will always fall short unless God's grace initiates the search and unless God's call draws us to him and completes the search. God allows this. The work of the Holy Spirit allows us to now have a faith. And so there are no real seekers out there. There is not someone that's saying, I want to find God. God, where are you? The one that's seeking is the shepherd seeking the lost sheep. The lost sheep is running away and God chases him down. And so we see a picture where God initiates this. In all of our faith, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, some translations say the author and perfecter or author and finisher of our faith. The one who now starts the whole relationship. And so our faith here is a gift. God has allowed us to have a trust. It's a supernatural act. And there's sometimes we just can't explain it in human terms. But there's a certainty in our hearts. And we put our faith in God and God allows us this to happen. Here in this relationship, it is God who approaches him. And the word of God comes to him first. And then in the words um, that is spoken, we see that, secondly, faith dispels fears. Again, God knew 
there was a burden on Abraham's heart. Those of you who walked in here, I'm sure all of you have uh, some kind of a burden you're carrying. Some kind of a burden in your heart. A person at work, uh, the position you didn't get, or the health of a loved one at home, paying the bills, and you have some kind of a burden. And maybe some of it is legitimate. Maybe some of it we don't even have to worry about, but we do as human beings. But you brought it in. And I'm sure if we sat there with a huge whiteboard, we would fill it up with, can you write your burdens? And if we projected it onto a screen, it would just fill up. And that's what is happening to Abram. He's got these burdens on his heart. Remember, Abram was promised by God, you're going to be the father of nations. And somehow his descendant is going to now do something great. And yet he is still childless here. And he's carrying this around. And God comes and his faith in God dispels our fears. It's as if the more we trust God, our fears and anxieties go down. And this is what God says in verse 1. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Fear not. The most repeated commands, those two comforting words oftentimes used of his followers. Fear not. And maybe we could even have a, just a simple sermon. You hear that today and that's good enough. Fear not. And he tells him and calls him by name, Abram. I am your shield. There's something very personal happening here. There's something very intimate. He calls him by name. I am your shield, he says. Uh, we think of a shield. Uh, I don't know what comes to mind. Maybe Captain America shields come to mind if you're into Marvel uh, comics or whatnot. But, you know, we've seen movie footages and, you know, things where now back in the day, in ancient day, when they go to battle, they seem to have some kind of a shield. And then they have now a spear or a weapon or a sword and they go to battle. It's interesting because in the Bible, the shield, um, th there's a, a term that is used called the shield bearer. There's a person who carried the shield. So when a, an important person, let's say the captain or the general or someone is now even at war and they're carrying their shield, they're carrying their sword, the shield bearer, would stand not to the left, but to the right of the person because this side is exposed and the arrows could come. And the shield bearer, their only job is to hold up the shield on this side and they would go march into battle. And their sole purpose of the shield bearer is to hold the shield to keep the arrows from hitting the side that's exposed. So the important person, the person going to battle now is shielded. And whatever they don't even see that comes their way, it blocks them. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Fear not, fill in your own names. I am your shield. Now, Abram's got a lot of burdens, a lot of concerns. I think the burdens that he has might be very similar. He's thinking about tomorrow. He's thinking about how to take care of the people that he's in charge of. He's thinking about, do they have enough? Do they have enough saved up? And he's worried about all those things. And he's thinking about the future. And he's saying, I still don't have a child yet. 
And I left my home and I'm on this journey. I've given the good land to Lot. I've went and fought for him. And I'm going through all of this and yet it's not happening. And it is here we see the third truth about faith. That faith trusts in God's perfect timing. Not our timing, in his timing. So God speaks to him. And now Abram replies, and it's interesting, right? It's never a good thing, really, because in verse 2, it starts with the word, but. But Abram said, he is now negating God. He is now saying, I don't really believe you, God. I didn't hear what you just said to me, God. He says, yeah, 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 all that is good, God, but. And it says in verse 2, but Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He replies to God with the word, he says, I, I, I know you say these things. And we, as we grow older, maybe in our faith, we say, I, I, I know those truths. I've been to church many times. I, I know God loves me. I know not to worry. But... I know who holds tomorrow. I know what the future holds. But what are we going to do? What am I going to study next? What about my next job? What about this? Where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? What am I going to feed? And here he has this concern. And he is frustrated. In these two verses, Abram now expresses his frustration with God. And again, this is God's graciousness because as the creator of the world, why would I even, if I were in God's shoes, why would I even entertain listening to this foolish talk? And he argues and he says to him, for I continue childless, verse 2, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer was his head servant. He said, when I die, he's saying, God, when I die, all of this is not going to be going to my child. This is going to go to a stranger. This is going to go to the head servant. He's going to inherit everything. I have no one to give it to. He is saying, God, I'm going to die soon, and I don't even have a child. He is already projecting his death. He is already going way far forward than he ought to, saying, what if, when I die, and I have nothing? In his estimation, God is already too late. Don't we go to God often and say, God, when is this going to happen? When am I going to find the right job? When am I going to find the right person? When am I going to have a child? When am I going to have, I want to, might have two kids that were two years apart and God, it's not happening and all the frustrations that we might have faced. When's my house going to sell? When am I going to buy this next house? Uh, when am I going to get better? When is my mom going to get over her illness? And we have all these, when God, it is so late. And this was the frustration of Abram. God, I'm supposed to have a child. God, I left my home, my family, because you told me to go. I'm going to leave all of this stuff now? He's envisioning giving all of these things to his own child, and he has to leave it to Eliezer, the head of my household. He's just my employee. I'm going to give it to him. I have no one else to give it to. And he complains to God in this way. 
The psalmist in Psalm 13 says the same thing. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In our walk, oftentimes we go to God with the same prayer. God is gracious to us because he allows even a a psalm to be written. A psalm of lament, God, when is this going to happen? When are you going to answer? There was a book written by a Japanese theologian years back, uh, Kazuki Kuyama. And it's titled, Three Mile an Hour God. Three Mile an Hour God. And he talks about how God works in his own timing. And there's a longer quote, two paragraphs I want to read for us. I find that God goes slowly in his educational process of man. Forty years in the wilderness points to his basic educational philosophy. Forty years of natural migration through the wilderness. Three generations of the united monarchy. Saul, David, Solomon, 19 kings of Israel, 20 kings of Judah, the host of the prophets and priests, the experience of exile and restoration. Isn't this rather a slow and costly way for God to let his people know the covenant relationship between God and man? I love this quote. It says this, love has its speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. This was written back in the 70s. You would think he wrote this today. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not. At three miles an hour, it is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. Three miles an hour, that is the speed that we walk, he says. And so God works at three miles an hour. In our instant world, we want the things instantly. There was a study done, a poll that was taken, rather not a study, but a poll was taken on how long before you feel impatience. When you're in the car, you have this, right? And I'm sure some of you are the ones that are expressive in this way. Some of you, you talk in the car, right? I talk in the car, and I honk, um, with God's love, right? It's a different kind of honk. There's different types of honks. You have to learn that, right? That's a little, that's very friendly, right? With a smile, hey, don't shoot, hey, hey. But it's been green for three seconds. Beep, beep, beep. You know, hey, right? gotta go, get off your phone. Hey, hey, God love you. Hurry up, you know. Um, 2,000 uh, adults were surveyed. They said, when did they feel impatience? I wonder where you're at on this, right? For a web page to load, already some of the anxiety is kicking up. Oh, gosh. And that circle is spinning. They say, the average person said 16 seconds. After 16 seconds, they, oh, the, the rage comes out. I have to move. I need a new computer. Or if you have a parent at home, you go, Dad, the Internet's not working, right? Uh, we yell out in this way. For a computer or when you're streaming something, how long before you get so frustrated? They say 22 seconds. You're on Netflix. And it's not coming on. You're like, this is ruining my day. Some of us are older enough to remember the good old days of having to physically go to a store. You go to a store, they call it a blockbuster. You go in there with money and you have to go borrow a tape. And then you would 
bring it home, and you have to return it in 24 hours, or they're going to charge you another dollar. And so you have to watch it. They'll charge you a little extra if you don't even rewind it, right? And you would go and pay. And it was an event. And so if you, re- re- if you remember those days, you say, ah, streaming a little bit, it's not too bad. I remember in my high school days, I remember going to Blockbuster. And on Friday night, you say, let's go watch a movie. You have some of your friends come over. And it was a big deal back in the day. Today, watching a movie, everyone watches whatever they want to watch. Everyone's in their own room watching their own thing. But back in the day, it was a big deal. I remember I had some friends come over. We made, I said, I'm going to get popcorn. We're going to have pizza, dim the lights, no talking. We're going to watch a movie. I'm going to spend $2. We're going to enjoy this. And I remember going through Blockbuster and looking, and I specifically remember, oh, and there was a movie called SWAT. It had a picture of Samuel L. Jackson and Colin Farrell and their policemen. Perfect for a guy. Oh, this is good. This is, I remember getting this. We watched it. I remember going back a month later. Hey, call up my friends. Hey, hey, movie night. Come on over. I'll, I'll go, I'm going to go to Blockbuster. Let's watch a movie. I start from A, get down. Eh, nothing looks good. Nothing looks good. And I get to S. And I go, oh, what? Samuel L. Jackson. And I had forgotten. I watched it now. So I go, oh, Samuel L. Jackson. This has got to be good. So I got it. I was kind of excited, paid my two bucks, and got home, and I started watching it. Oh, my gosh, this, this sounds familiar. It's like a deja vu. And I said, it's not a deja vu. I rented this before, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I did this, right? A month later, and I'm not uh, making this up. I go back to Blockbuster. I said, I think I'm going to watch a movie this Friday night. <laughs> and I said, oh, I start from letter A, and went all the way to S, and I go, and I this looks interesting. Swat, this is my kind of movie. <laughs> and I read it. I grabbed it. I said, oh, I, I like these actors. I remember watching them before. Colin Farrell and uh, uh, Samuel Jackson. All right. And I went home and I turned it on. I said, oh my gosh, for the third time. And I'm getting now yelled at, what is wrong with you? And da, da, da. I'm like, I pay two bucks. Just enjoy this movie, right? And rewind it. We got to take it back. Now you think about this. Today in our day and age, 22 seconds. It's not uploading. Um, I don't know if you're one of those people. I remember uh, during COVID, during the lockdown, I remember going into one of my, I won't say which daughter, but I went into one of them in their rooms and they're doing their college lecture. So now I know it's, it's the older one, but she's watching one of her lectures. And, uh, and I hear it, and it sounds like, do you remember back in the day, the chipmunks, the high-pitched voice? And I was like, what in the world is she doing? And I open the door, and she's watching the lecture at times two speed, right? Now, how many of you are guilty of doing that? Don't raise your hands, right? But tell me, oh, yeah, I do that, right? And she's watching it, and the guy is lecturing on the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. And she's like, going through it. And maybe that's us today. And going back to God, maybe that is what we think. God, you're too slow. God, you're too late. God, I prayed, where's the answer? We have to remember what God does in us while we wait is sometimes more important than the thing that we are waiting for. The journey for Moses and his people to get from point A to point B to the promised land, was an 11-day journey if they went straight. It wasn't that far. But they wandered for 40 years because God was teaching them. Think about Noah. Noah was building his ark, building a boat for 100 years. 120 years, rather. 
And while he's building that, not one drop of rain. Can you imagine? 120 years building the ark, not a drop of rain. What am I doing? And it's in that process God is working in us and through us. And I want to encourage us to remember that God is working. And God is in the midst of our prayers. And when we want to go like Abram to God, say, but God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to my life? What's going to happen to the promise you have? God is still there. And fourthly, God responds and he says, I I have your future in hand. God is generous and gracious to us. He says, don't worry about it. I have it taken care of. And he says in verse 4, right? Faith is trusting God with the future. In verse 4, it says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He responds. God talks. Abram replies. God generously, graciously comes back and says to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. He reassures him that what you are worried about is not part of God's plan. And he says, Go outside, look at the stars. At night, the dark uh, in the desert or the wilderness, you could see some of us have gone camping or, uh, or gone somewhere remote and you see how stars seem to just envelop us. And he's looking at the stars and he says, your offspring will be like that. It's interesting, you know, that the uh, scientists say today that in the Milky Way galaxy, there is a hundred billion stars. I don't know how you come up with 100 billion, right? They estimate 100 billion. And yet, there are now uh, 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. So you got to multiply that. There is no calculator big enough to multiply all of those numbers. And they come up with an estimate, I would say more like a guesstimate, that there is, uh, in in the uh, American system, they call it one septillion stars. Something like 24 zeros. In the European system, they call it quadrillion. They have to make up names for this. There's too many zeros. There's too many stars. And when God tells tells Abram, go and look. See what I'm going to do. He pauses and he looks and he sees all that's there. You see, God is working in us, through us, in our lives continually. God's promise will be fulfilled the covenant God will keep his word. And at the end of the story, he now has a, a covenant ceremony. Covenant literally comes from the word cut. They cut the animals. And God passes in the form of a fire in between them. And two parties, when they would now make a covenant, they would cut the animal and both parties would walk between them. And it was like their handshake. It was saying, if you fail your side, your part, may this happen to you. And it was a bloody reminder that they're going to keep their word. And God cuts the animals. But Abraham is in deep sleep. He doesn't walk through. Only God walks through. And what Abraham couldn't fulfill, 
God fulfills in Christ. Generations later, Abraham would have a son, Jesus Christ, who now fulfills this covenant. Because it should have been the blood of the one who was on the other side. And God says, I will walk and I will guarantee. He now promises the future. And God is working in our lives and he is there for us till the end. It is a sobering thought when we think that there is no one on this earth that could promise that they will be there till the end. Couples say that, but really in reality they they would say in the wedding vows, until one of us pass away. A parent might say, I'm here for you always, but no, that usually doesn't, uh, doesn't happen this way. And friends come and friends go, but the one that is there till the end is our Lord. And it is by the faithfulness of Christ that we are there with him. Um, I close with this uh, little uh, illustration. You know, Hudson Taylor was the missionary and founder of China Inland Mission. You can Google him later. Hudson Taylor um, was a great man, uh, a pioneering missionary in his generation. And he said in his house he had a plaque with two different phrases on it. Uh, One said, Ebenezer, the Lord is my help. And the other was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Here is a man who went uh, into deep parts of China um, to share the gospel, looking back at the titles of God, Ebenezer, Jehovah Jireh, the God who is my help, the God who will provide. And he was reminded day after day. My prayer for us is that Uh, Maybe this is an opportunity for us that when we don't see God coming to fruition and acting out all these things that he had promised, and yet maybe even in our doubt, and we're not sure that we could say, I'm going to fight to be generous, God. I'm going to go and give, and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to go and give of my life, and I want to trust you. And how important that is. And so whether it is church and build a house and what more can I do? What more can I give? Or it's just the be generous things and what more can I give to these children in need or maybe it is someone else around. But may our faith increase and may it increase because he who that we trust in is trustworthy. With that, let's pray together. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. We thank you for the gift of faith. We are a people of faith. And Lord, there are times, sometimes weekly, we fall into a rut like Abram did and you graciously remind us that you are a shield. That you have our lives and that uh, you remind us to go out and look at the stars. Go out and look at the things that you have said. And so we take that to heart. So Lord, would you help us to trust more in you Would you open our eyes to see the stars that you have planted for our lives and to see you are working in our lives. Whether it happens today or it happens a year from now or a prayer is answered through a generation later, God, you are still working through us. And so, Lord, we trust you in this. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.